So when I started praying about what should be the verse for 2017, one came to mind. Not a particular verse, the number one. Word, the word one. So I looked up a few verses that has that word, has that word in it. One thing I desire from the Lord, that I may keep company with God forever. Psalm 27, verse 4. That could be at a thought. Then Philippians 3, Paul wrote, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on. Great verses, but somehow not the right ones. Then I turn to a passage of scripture well known, the story of two stressed out sisters, Martha and Mary. I'll read a little bit of their story now. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about, about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. thought that could be the verse of the year. Prayed a bit more, and that didn't feel right either. Then having looked carefully at each one, I knew I was being drawn to the idea of being focused or single-minded. And hence I came across what I believe is our verse for the year. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. And in case you think all that sounds, well, that's a very holy verse, let me assure you that it's one of the most practical verses in Scripture. Because it's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's about being single-minded. Yet what on earth does that mean in our busy lives? And what's the difference between being single-minded and having a one-track mind? It is the effect of having a focus. A single-minded person chooses to focus on one thing. What's really central and crucial. A one-track mind can only focus on one thing. Being single-minded does not mean that you have no sense of complexity or nuance or subtlety. It means you're able to choose to consider and then to choose to ignore those things that might distract you. I want to read to you with permission a letter that was sent to Rob by somebody who's recently done Alpha in our church. I'm only going to read bits of it. It's quite a long letter, and it warmed our hearts. It didn't at first. I found the lack of understanding made it difficult for me to become a Christian. I think the problem for a Christian is a Christian knows how they feel, and it makes perfect sense to be a Christian in their minds and their heart, and it would raise the question, well, why wouldn't everyone else want to be a Christian? The fact of the matter in my case was, 
I had been conditioned by the behaviours of those around me, the people I network with. And to break away from that is completely strange and scary, as the unknown usually is. The rules I would follow were to be early, were to be early and stay late to show my commitment even though I'm not needed at work or with friends. I would waste endless time achieving nothing just to show a person with more authority of my commitment. I would fit in and get on, or so I believed. It's easy getting hoaxed into doing what the crowd does, even though it goes against your values, because it's easier to go along with it than it is to object with a group of people who also don't want to participate. I suppose the unique point for me, if I was to use that kind of terminology, was Christianity is simply about the relationship between me and Christ. No one else. We, know we get on better when we are on our own. However, meeting my new Christian friends, well, that's just the bonus that comes along with being a Christian, being a true Christian, is a loving person. And no man on earth doesn't want to be loved. The fact of the matter is now, I get it. I get why Christians behave the way they do. I'm pleased. I get that they are not full on, that they have a natural want to love. Brand spanking new Christian busy young person with massive calls on different aspects of their life. One thing really matters. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. In coming to Christ, that person is discovering a new lens through which all their priorities and focus are being realigned through knowing God's love and loving God in return. The Christian life is not always straightforward, and many of us have to concede we're still working on that point many years into our Christian journey. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and your prayer or devotion and your intelligence. This is the most important, he said, and the first on any list. A young man who was about to get married was once asked what he thought were the most important things in life, and in particular, what should take priority in his life. He listed family, job, and education. I asked him if God made the list. Oh, yes, he replied, God was next. And as we spoke further, he mentioned that God was certainly important, but not as much as the others on his list. I think he was being honest. When the young man was asked where he thought God would want to be on the list, he did not know, but assumed that God, being family-orientated, would put family first. The young man claimed to be a Christian, but was not very familiar with the Bible, so I gave him some passages to consider. <coughs> The conversation, though, makes us wonder. What does the Bible identify as the most important? And a good place to start as we answer that question from God's perspective is what is number one? The foremost commandment. We've had it read. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer 
and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. There was a man, a medieval Christian, called Bernard of Claveau. And Bernard talks about loving God for God's sake. And I found that profoundly challenging because I love God best when he does something for me. And Bernard says there is a point in loving God for God's own sake because he deserves it. And in that scripture that I've brought to you today, Jesus is answering a question designed to test his own knowledge and response to God's word. So when a scribe asks, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? (coughs) Then Jesus replied from Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, which we have, as it were, updated. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That was the essence and heart of Israelite religion, of Jesus' birth religion. It's the essence of the kingdom. And yet, how are we to make sense of it today? Firstly, I want to suggest that our love must be focused. The proper object of our our affection and love must not be divided. So earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus warns this, no one, none of us, can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He's actually saying that divided devotion is deficient devotion. God must always come first. Jesus, as God's Messiah, alluded to this degree of devotion when he explained the strident demands of discipleship. And here's a verse that would have cut that young man to the quick, whose primary focus was his family. Jesus used a literary device called hyperbole. And this is what he's saying. Anyone who loves his father, his mother, more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. On another occasion, Jesus offered a similar explanation, but in starker and more demanding terms. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, lest you're starting to panic, this is not encouraging hatred of children or neglect of parents and loved ones. Jesus is using this literary device, hyperbole, to say something really important. But the main thing is to love me. And in loving me, love others. We struggle with that. We struggle with it in our lifestyle and in our decisions. The main thing is to love God above all other. And then our love for others finds a right and a healthy perspective. So our devotion or love must be focused. And second, it must be full on. It must be complete. It must be extensive and comprehensive. Involve every part of us. We're to love God with all our heart or our passion, our soul, And our intelligence. In other words, loving God isn't just an emotional thing. It's more than having a fuzzy feeling about him. It's practical. Many of us 
try, because we're trying to get it right, to compartmentalize life. We divide our attention between the various responsibilities and activities, work, family, leisure, all important, allotting to each a portion of their time. Most Christians think along that with a time for work, a time for family, and a time for leisure, there should also be time for God. They set aside time on Saturday or Sunday for church or midweek groups or whatever. And however equitable and sensible and practical that at first seems, it isn't what God wants. He wants it all. Not that, thankfully, you spend every moment in church or with Christians. He definitely doesn't want that. But that you submit every faculty and resource and moment to him. No part of life can be out of bounds or off limits for God. And so Ollie and his family, and I'm not singling them out because they're not the only ones to make those kind of decisions. Ollie, in responding to God, has responded by going to reach out, not in this community into which he came, but into a local community in which he lives. And my word to Ollie and his family today would be, that is brilliant, however... Take our verse of the year with you. Take it because when we're doing things out of love for God, we need to remember that it must come from love for God first, and it must be sustained. So as you bring up those two adorable kids, love God yourselves in front of them. And as you love God yourselves in front of them, teach them not to be good church people, not to be good kids who tick all the boxes and go to everything, Teach them what it means to love God first so that as they make the big decisions of life, they might have an anchor and a strength and a grace that isn't about success and education and wealth. It's about loving God above all things. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. <clears throat> now, with all that vies for our attention and affection, and I only work one day a week, so this really doesn't apply to me, but for all that vies for our attention and affection, it's vital to have the first commandment clearly before us at all times. We need to have a passion for God <clears throat> that is focused, concentrated upon him, and upon knowing him, and a passion that is full, involving every aspect of who we are. And that will take you into a school, and a kitchen, and an operating theatre, and a nursery, and a factory. And as you love God with every fibre of your being, there will be a natural outflow that is in itself, life-giving for you, and in turn, for others. When I was in New York, I came across a pastor called Pete Scarazzo. Now, his claim to fame is he's a mate of Nicky Gumbel's, but we can forget all that. Uh, Pete has written a book, several books and courses, out of having been a pastor who, if you like, burnt out. He burnt out with his wife several times in ministry. And he's written books which you can look up online. With our new telly, I can speak into the handheld set and say, find me Pete Scarazzo on YouTube. I know I'm very sad, but I can do that. And um, 
Seven programs came up from this book, ten little clips from each one, and they're really helpful. What's that got to do with today? He explains that it's unhealthy to have a way of loving God which is less than the time we put into serving God. He found a way of talking and writing about spiritual burnout. And basically he says, if it is that all you do for God is there and it weighs so heavily that your loving of God becomes lightweight, you will become profoundly unhealthy. And so he has a course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Leadership, Emotionally Healthy Church Life. His book unpacks the remedies to that state of affairs, and it's intensely practical. What he says to individuals applies to churches too. That's why the first commandment to love God comes before the commandment to love your neighbor. They are both linked, inseparably linked. But the commandment to love God first has a priority and then flows into the second. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. You will know that I feel very strongly that we as a church are at times out of sync. We love God through what we do, and sometimes we need to slow down and love God for God's own sake. That's the essence behind the day of prayer that I've asked for later this month. And I expect it to be a day where we listen to God and ask the question based around our verse of the year, so what in God's name would that look like at APC? How might we so grow in love for God that we are the more effective in those fewer things that we do for God? but do them well. I don't have the answers, but I think the question is vital for us. <clears throat> now I want to end with a picture. A picture sent to me by a man from Australia who recently attended a baptism in this church and sat over there. So I'm doing this baptism, and you get hordes of people at these do's, and they're all sort of going for it, and the kids are plucking their hair and all this kind of stuff, and you're trying to make sense of it. And this guy is really engaged. He seemed very onside. And afterwards, he sent me uh, an email to thank me for having done the baptism and what I'd said. And um, this is what he said. He said it to me, but he said it for us. I passed this on to the wardens. During the service, I had a picture, which I believe is for the church, as you consider and step into its future direction. The picture I saw was you standing at a well and scattered around the well were lots of individual, brightly shining gold coins. I actually felt that the gold coins were good things. However, things that were not in line with what God is asking the church to do. I felt that in this next season, there will be many good things that will come up, but that these good things were almost a distraction from what God was calling the church to do. In the picture, 
The well behind you, I believe, was like the well that Jesus met the woman at, John 4. I believe that uh, this is used for your heart and the church's heart to share the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is wanting the church to have guarded hearts and discernment as the church looks to stake steps forward in its next season. I hope this makes sense, he said. It blew me away. I'd never met him. I had never spoken to him. And the occasion that brought him here uh, made no connection. He sat in a worship service and God spoke in that way. Do a few things and do them well. Or as Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. Let's be still for a moment. Lord Jesus, there isn't a person in this building who doesn't struggle with coping with the realities of life. We often lead very pressured lives. Sometimes we celebrate that fact. Sometimes we're proud of it. Help us, we pray, as we live out every aspect of our lives which you're interested in, to do so out of love for you, with every bit of passion and prayer and intelligence that we can muster. Help us to love you for your own sake, not because you do stuff for us. Help us to see the wisdom in this scripture and in the saints of old. And help us as a church as we turn to you in prayer to discover whether this is indeed a word from the Lord. And help us then to reorientate our life together. That even doing less, your kingdom might come in greater measure. For Jesus' sake.